Shalom, shalom, wonderful friends. It's nice to see you today. Thank you for joining. Thank you for being here together in our in our session 38, 38 of 40. So we have only two more of our pearls of kindness after today. And then we start our 40 great philosophers, might be 42 great philosophers um, that uh, have encountered Judaism and um, our Judaism has encountered them really. <laughs> and that will be really fun and exciting too. So let's start with a poll question on our topic today of Omets, striving for courage, living with courage. One, daily I must cultivate courage to persevere. Option two, there were memorable times when I needed to be courageous. Option three, courage has not been a virtue I focused much on in my life thus, thus far. So how significant is courage in your life? Is it a daily enterprise? Are there significant moments you can look back on? Or has courage not been a dominant virtue in your life? Okay, let's see what we got. Okay, wow, 43% say daily, 43% say there are specific times, and 14% says it hasn't been a virtue they need to focus so much on. Okay, wonderful. Okay, friends, here we go together on this exciting topic. Courage at its heart is, in a sense, the midah that underlies every other trait. Now, this may seem, of course, counterintuitive. If one were to look at the classical, most normative, or even most noble uh, midot, character traits. Courage is not even listed among them. Courage, for example, does not necessarily impart anivut, humility. It may only be tangentially related to simcha, of joy, and it may actually be counterproductive to inculcating savlanut, patience. But without courage, would we be able to go out into the world and fulfill our soul's potential? Without the spark that illuminates the challenging path called experience, would we be able to satiate the desire to learn and grow? Maya Angelou wrote, without courage, we cannot practice any other virtue with consistency. We cannot be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest. Courage is not reserved for the likes of Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, Rosa Parks, or David Ben-Gurion. Rather, each of us has opportunities for courage every day nor does it require putting one's life at risk. We do not need to have the temerity of someone like Nachshon ben Aminadav, who according to the Midrash, walks into the water, hoping that God intervenes and creates a miracle splitting the sea. There's no virtue in taking senseless risks that puts our lives or our family's financial or emotional well-being in jeopardy. So friends, in this session, we will explore eight variations of the Midah of courage, that are necessary to excel at all other character traits of kindness. The following is, to, is by no means a comprehensive or definitive summation of Judaism's ethical view towards courage, of course. Rather, the classifications we're gonna to explore together here are based on my own personal experiences, 
and anecdotal meditations on the subject. In truth, the inherent definition of courage on display here will play with many facets of the term in a loose, perhaps even deconstructionist manner. These characterizations will work in concert with each other and clash against each other, such as the nature of courage. Thus, this piece acts as a stepping stone, a primer, if you will, to place courage in the broader epistemological context of Jewish ethics. Here we go. Number one, courage of being. Courage of being. The first level of courage is understanding that each of us is unique. And inherent in that uniqueness is the mandate to do extraordinary feats that will in some way change the world. Well, one of the great mysteries of existence is to unlock our innermost strengths. We never achieve these strengths if we don't possess self-value. Peer pressure and the desire to fit in and be loved are powerful emotions, but they're also crippling. Somewhere in the world, someone will always despise you. It could be for your skin color, your religious beliefs, your favorite sports team. This litany of petty excuses to hate a person is sadly staggering. In the end, this is only noise, static in the ether. So courage here in this first category means to have the courage to strive to be our authentic self, to be uniquely me. But how do we achieve this seemingly straightforward imperative? Firstly, we have to realize that it takes enormous courage to hold ourselves accountable to our potential. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel breaks down the essence of this potential in a beautiful biblical metaphor. We are all pharaohs or slaves of pharaohs. It is sad to be a slave of a pharaoh, but it's horrible to be a pharaoh. Daily, we should take account and ask, what have I done today to alleviate the anguish, to mitigate the evil, to prevent humiliation? Let there be a grain of profit in every person. Wow. Staying true to one's forthright convictions is an apt contemporary embodiment of the prophet's purpose. Of course, the vision for our lives need not be steeped in the purely righteous. Courage means setting a goal for yourself, modest or grand, and having the pers perspicacity to see it made manifest. Even Steve Jobs, the late founder of Apple, whose life was marked with as many failures as triumphs, remarked pithily that we should go out and pursue the dreams that will further our lives. He wrote, how, he, or he spoke at the Stanford commencement, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Courage of being means asking hard questions. It's an introspective pursuit. This is quiet courage, a courage that radiates from deep within the recesses of our essence yearning to break free. Okay, friends, that's our first category of courage the courage to be our authentic self. Here's category two, courage of will. Mark Twain is attributed as saying, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. In all we do, we must cultivate a sense of bravery, an intractable perseverance, and the capacity to have resilience. With the balance mixed of an indomitable persistence of grit and a reservoir of spiritual inspiration, we become better equipped to get through challenges. This was the essence of courage for the Talmudic rabbis. In a moving Talmudic passage, they posit the following inquiry. Who is courageous? There are manifold paths that the rabbis could have pursued here. The person with the most faith in God, 
one who adheres loyalty, the letter of law, one who can be victorious in battle. But instead, how do the rabbis respond to the question, who is courageous? Their answer, one who can control their inner drives. That one is the most courageous. Indeed, before we approach any type of action, our vigorous inner life must align with our outer life. At the center of this quest for enthusiastic earnestness is Ratzon, will. We must all have the will to be courageous. Otherwise, we can't be courageous. This is not mere tautology. We must desire to cultivate a burning passion and a lasting energy to overcome internal and external obstacles. We must desire to overcome our fear of pain, of failure, and of loss, right? Category one, the courage to be. Category two, the courage of will. Do we actually want, right, to prevail, to survive, to live with courage? Yes, thank you. Okay, category three, courage of speech. Courage of speech. Humanity was blessed with the gift of speech. And when our minds and souls coalesce around an action, a passion, or a cause, it takes the human ingenuity of speech to convey the importance of said pursuits. A crucial element of spiritual courage is to be able to speak up even when it is terrifying to do so. At times, it's a mitzvah to do so. The Torah teaches. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reprove your fellow and and do not bear a sin because of him, right? That if we don't give feedback to someone bothering us that we think can hear that feedback, we will hurt that relationship by not having the courage of speaking up. Some people think, you know, I'm not just not going to speak up to this person I love. It might be hurtful, but actually it might cause more problems. The courage of having hard conversations with people we care about. The late social activist Maggie Kuhn, she lived 1905 to 1995, who spoke out passionately for protections for senior citizens in America, said powerfully, speak your mind even if your voice shakes. Indeed, we must give feedback, otherwise we will bear a sin and be culpable of complicity as a bystander. In those moments, we will come to hate our brother. We must never allow this type of moral timidity to invade our souls. Still, as the Talmud instructs, we must choose our words carefully and speak in a manner in which our words will be received and not have a negative effect. Uh, Number one, courage to be. Number two, courage of will. Number three, courage of speech. Number four, courage of action. When most people speak about courage, they are, are often just speaking about this one, the courage of action. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, always do what you are afraid to do. Well, I think it's a little bit of an overstatement. (laughs) There's lots of things I'm afraid to do that I don't think I want to do or should do, but you get the point that some things that scare us are still worthy of doing. I'm not gonna climb that rock. Um, I have a a sense that my my friend Ethan Whitoff will climb a rock like that, (laughs) but that's not for me. Uh, Maybe Steve Chauvin's out there climbing rocks, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I'm not gonna be be doing that today. To be sure, courage does not always require leadership, but at times requires a modicum of followership. Some either prefer to lead or be cynical, but this middle space of participating yet not being in control can require enormous courage also, right? Let me state that again. Some people want the courage to lead or to be cyn- or they'll just be cynical, but there's a second, a third space, the space of participating 
right, courageously where someone else is leading. At momentous points during our lives, we must be willing to take critical risks, not life-threatening or impulsive risks, but measured considerations about how we intend to live our brief moment in this universe. For many, leadership is a, cons is a constituent piece of their desire to see tangible change. Yet inevitably, when one takes the difficult step to rise up and lead, the critiques not only begin, but may become incessant. These responses often stymie others who would love to lead but cannot take the negativity and constant second guessing. To overcome this mindset, it takes a healthy amount of courage to maintain conviction and propel action. Nelson Mandela, whose life story is the stuff of courage, wrote, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Okay, the courage of action. And there are so many levels of that. And by the way, it may feel like that courage of action is a youthful thing, right? It's a youthful thing of like a teenager or something like that. But of course, there are various forms of, of courage throughout one's life. And even at the end of life, the courage to take on a painful treatment as a medical intervention is incredibly courageous. The courage to end a treatment um, that may make sense to end um, for various reasons and engage in palliative care um, and it can also be courageous. And so there's forms of courage throughout our life stages. Um, and of course, forms of courage at the end of life. And then there's the courage of action that is thrust upon us, even if we don't choose it. For example, you might say a fetus is courageous emerging from the womb, right? Now the fetus didn't choose to do that. They were like literally pulled out of there or pushed out of there, right? But um, that even, even some things that we don't choose to do, but are participating in can be courageous because of what it requires of us to participate in, right, in a sense. So there's kind of a passive action of courage, of courage and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a willful action of courage. Okay, friends, number five, the courage of restraint. As I said, some forms of courage will contradict other forms, and that's great. The courage of restraint, in many ways, the opposite of courage of action, but not necessarily. For every notion about courage being an outward display of character, Having the foresight to restrain oneself is an underexplored avenue of courageous behavior. Courage is not only about actively publicly acting publicly or about speaking up, right? But also about being silent when the times call for it, right? Silence sounds like a like something of weakness. Oh, the bystander is silent, right? But there's a whole virtue of silence as well. And when to not be a foolish, loud person, but someone who knows how to sit back. Not every situation requires our voice. Not every pursuit needs our opinion. Knowing when to back off is, is, is as important, maybe even more so than to stand up. I don't know much about being an in-law, <laughs> but I have heard that the, uh, being a parent of a grown child or being an in-law um, sometimes requires some restraint of not sharing every opinion about how our children raise their kids, right? Again, I don't know much about that, but I do see my parents exercise their restraint when they seem to disagree with choices that we're making. Um, and I'm inspired by their restraint. Knowing when to back off is as, as important, maybe even more so than when to stand up. To be sure, as we mentioned above, 
The Talmud teaches us that there's a mitzvah to give constructive feedback to our peers, to reprove or rebuke them when it's called for. But there's also a mitzvah not to speak up when it will not be heard or when our actions or speech make situations worse, right? There's, there's something um, kind of gross about the person who feels the need to express every um, kind of emotional reaction they have, to express every form of feedback they, that, that they have, to, to tweet every thought they have, or make a Facebook post about every hot or cold shower they've taken, right? But just as there is a mitzvah for a person to say words of rebuke that will be accepted, so, uh, now I'm quoting here the Talmud, so, it, so too there is um, a mitzvah for a person not to say words of rebuke that will not be accepted. Rav Abba said, it is not merely a mitzvah, rather it's an obligation. As it says, do not rebuke a scoffer, lest they hate you. Rebuke a wise person and they will love you, right? A wise person can accept feedback, but a scoffer is one who will immediately be defensive of any feedback. To be sure, others suggest that we should still speak up even when it won't be heard, it says, it says in a different Talmudic tractate, Rav Zera said to Rav Shimon, our master should reprove these officials of the house of the, of the exilarch. Rav Shimon said to him, they do not accept words of reproof for me. Why should I speak up? Rav Zera said to him, even though they do not accept it, our master should nonetheless reprove them. Right? So there's a consequentialist approach that says only speak up if it's going to work, if it's going to help. And then there's a principled approach that says, speak up because you need to be a person of character, regardless of whether it's going to be effective or not. Some people say, oh, why should you, you know, um, go protest in the streets, the 30 of you? Like, is any senator going to change their view or a mayor going to change their view because 30 of you are out in the streets? And the answer might be, you're right. Actually, this is ineffective. We should stop doing that, right? Because why should we scream in the wind? Um, or the answer might be, um, we should do it out of principle because good people can't stand idly by when evil things happen and we should speak up, right? And there might be different times for different answers. Another form of restraint is taking the initiative to step back and create space for others to shine. Lao Tzu, the philosophical progenitor, uh, uh, progenitor of Taoism, teaches, from caring comes courage. From caring comes courage. Indeed, when we begin our actions from a compassionate conviction of love and not from the ego-filled position to be a hero, then we step back when we need to, right? And so thinking about if I care for this person, what does this person need from me, right? And to be sure, there are times when we step back and step up simultaneously, Imagine a case where we just want to be physically present for someone, right? We don't want to advise them. We don't want to give them feedback. We don't want to do anything for them. We just want to show up, right? That is an action. And it's also um, stepping back and restraining. And that, friends, I think can also be a case requiring a lot of courage. Why? Because sometimes it's easier to send an email or make a phone call, um, or just ignore the whole messy situation overall. But to sit in a shiva house, or to sit at a funeral, or to sit at someone's hospital bed, not having anything to say, not having any way to fix it, not having any gift to give, but simply sitting there can sometimes be 
uh, courageous because it, it can be awkward. Okay, friends, number six, courage of mind. <clears throat> it is without a doubt an immense challenge to exist in a world suffused with ambiguity. Indeed, most people struggle, struggle deeply with living within a gray zone rather than the easy binary of black and white on everything, religion and politics and relationships. Some need to run towards certainty and clarity rather than orient their inner struggle with uncertainty. This is understandable. American author and educator, Quaker thinker, Parker Palmer writes, there is a name for the endurance we must practice until a larger love arrives. It is called suffering. We will not be able to teach in the power of paradox until we are willing to suffer the tension of opposites. Until we understand that such suffering is neither to be avoided nor merely to be survived, but must be actively embraced for the way it expands our own hearts. It's like, if you wanna see suffering, you can look at like a doctoral student writing their dissertation, sitting in a library with a pen or a computer and being like, ah, uh, what is this gonna end this year or in four years? Like, when is this gonna end? And not knowing what to do and what to say, right? It is this ambiguity. Um, you know, or let's say you're in a lab working on a COVID cure, right, um, a, a vaccine, um, and you just don't know if you're going to get there, right? Living in the world of ideas, um, living in the world of ideas, and um, and not going to um, a place of certainty is a, is a is a tremendously important form of courage, uh, and and actually to be an intellectual itself is courageous. Uh, to be someone who's willing to ask questions and like really examine and question things that may even give someone a sense of stability. To even question things that give us stability can be, of course, tremendously courageous. Not everyone can live up to the pressure of living in an unbifurcated world. However, one type of courage is about continuing to live mentally within the discomfort of uncertainty, continuing to grapple with questions before jumping to answers and continuing to seek truth beyond ideological comfort. Okay, friends, number seven out of eight, the courage of spirit, the courage of spirit. To cultivate courage on the spiritual level is to learn how to transcend self-interest, to transcend one's own body and perhaps even transcend one's own consciousness. The late Lithuanian Musar teacher, Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz, actually it's funny, somebody recently introduced me as Shmulevitz they heard Shmuley and they heard Yanklowitz and they kind of mixed the two together and they said, we're, uh, we're welcome. We'd like to welcome up Rabbi Shmulevitz. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, uh, especially because there's this great Musar teacher named Rav Chaim Shmulevitz who explains how people are capable of much more than they may imagine, even during a trying moment of existential crisis. Says over here in um, his Musar work, our strengths are greater than we realize. A person has the ability to reach much more than their potential, their natural physical strengths. It appears that this is the explanation of our sages on the verse, Bat Paro, the daughter of Pharaoh, stretched forth her arm and took the basket that Moses was in. The rabbis explained that her arm expanded many amot, many cubits. It's not intended to be understood that her arm physically got longer. Rather, through her will to save this child, it was in her ability to retrieve the basket, even though it was far away. There is no measure to the strength of someone when they arm themselves with omets, with courage. 
If they do, it's in their, in their hand to reach much more than their natural strengths would dictate. Right, friends? Um, this is often talked about as a mother who needs to save the life of her child, right? And is able to like lift up a car, so to speak. Like people's physical strengths becoming like far beyond their actual strength. Or someone who is like, has the will to survive. Think about a Holocaust survivor or other difficult cases like that. I mean, nothing is like that, but other very difficult cases um, where one has to tap in beyond heart, beyond mind, beyond will into the realm of spirit. To imbibe meaning from the constant renewal of our spiritual work should not comfort us, not only comfort us, but also challenge us in the best way. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel suggests that prayer can become a vehicle for the cultivation of courage in the world. He writes, prayer is meaningless unless it is subversive, unless it seeks to overthrow and to ruin the pyramids of callousness, hatred, opportunism, and falsehoods. The liturgical movement must become a revolutionary movement, seeking to overthrow the forces that continue to destroy the promise, the hope, the vision. Okay, friends, lastly, category eight. As I said, there could be many more, but now we're gonna get to courage of heart. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, courage is a product of the heart. To be sure, we must learn to be comfortable with honest vulnerability. Brene Brown, a professor at the University of Houston, and an expert on the diverse dimensions of courage, writes on the inner nature of courage and its effect on her life. As I look back on my life, I can honestly say that nothing is as uncomfortable, dangerous, and hurtful as believing that I'm standing on the outside of my life, looking in and wondering what it would have been like if I'd had the courage to show up and let myself be seen. Such a prospect can be terrifying. We all feel vulnerable at some times in our lives, to, do, to not do so is to not experience the full expression of our humanity. Yet being vulnerable is not equivalent to being weak or cowardly. On the contrary, vulnerability is an element of greater courage. As C.S. Lewis wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. So indeed, just to love another is deeply um, courageous. The ability to be willing to be hurt, um, which is not something that is easy, but the courage to allow ourselves to love, knowing that we can be hurt. So friends, to move towards a conclusion, since we've looked at the eight categories I wanted to share today, one might think that acting courageously is antithetical to humility. This I wanna suggest is not the case. Consider how Rev Cook explains this point. We need to make a careful distinction between a regesh hapasul, an insincere feeling that distances a person from consciousness of one's maker and a regesh hadin, delicate feeling that expands a person's consciousness and reminds one of one's full spiritual existence. Often a person's heart will feel full of strength. At first glance, this feeling will seem similar to a feeling of arrogance, but the reality is that one's heart is filled with courage from the divine light that shines in one's soul. So how does Rob Cook suggest we should achieve this, this end goal of taking this strength within us 
and not 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 thinking of it as arrogance, but thinking of it as light within our soul that we can use for courage. He writes, a person must rise up at once and mobilize the midah, the trait of gaiva de kedusha, holy arrogance. They must look at themselves very favorably and find the good aspects of their shortcomings and weaknesses. For as one sets one's mind to seek out the good, immediately all of their weaknesses transform into strengths. It is possible for a person to find within themselves much good and to be very happy with their goodness. Day by day, such a person will increase their positive activities with a pure heart and full of compassion and hope. One final note here, we must learn to listen in order to know what opportunities and moments are crucial for us to cultivate courage. Rabbi Sachs writes about the imperative to listening to these voices of being right here authentically. There is no life without a task, no person without a talent, no place without a fragment of God's light waiting to be discovered and redeemed, no situation without its possibility of sanctification, no moment without its call. It may take a lifetime to learn how to find these things, but once we learn, we realize in retrospect that all that ever took was the ability to listen. When God calls, God does not do so by way of universal imperatives. Instead, God whispers our name, and the greatest reply, the reply of Avraham, is simply Hineni. Here I am, ready to heed your call, to mend a fragment of your all-too-broken world. Every day we should awake with Hineni inscribed on our hearts and animated within our souls. Only in this way do we ensure that the grand experiment of humanity continues fresh and anew with every obstacle that the universe pre presents before us. Fortunately for the human spirit, we aren't ill-equipped for such a challenge. We have courage, but as is true with all virtues, cultivating that courage takes practice and patience. We must come out of our comfort zone to grow. We must learn the art of when to listen and when to speak when to act and when to hold back, when to paddle to ride a wave, and when to sit back to enjoy the calm waters. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the founder of the Musar movement, leaves us with a final message of hope. For Rabbi Salanter, every person must hold on to and keep precious three qualities in order to lead and live a life with courage. Number one, not to despair. Number two, not to get angry. Number three, not to expect to finish the task. Courage does not mean one makes an appearance and then hurries out the door. No, courage must be cultivated daily. It must be cultivated for years before it's even given the chance to blossom. Courage comes from realizing that our role in the universe is unique, but at the same time limited. Yet it's this limitation that allows us to excel beyond our wildest dreams. It allows us to pursue our destiny. And whether we know it or not, courage is the engine that allows us to move forward perpetually with intentionality, with co compassion, and with the knowledge that meaning is found through navigating the tribulations of living a full, active life. Okay, dear friends, that was the longest of our presentations. So I would love to step back now and, and hear some of your thoughts on, on Omets. Hi, Aglaia. Welcome back. Hi. Okay. So I was going to actually have a different comment for today, but I changed my mind. 
Okay. So besides, I'm not sure that everybody's into the Marvel Cinematic Universe anyway, so you might not know what I was talking about. So, but anyway, though, long story short, though, um, about talking about finding courage in the weirdest ways. All right. And that's what my point is. So when I was still in grad school, all right, and I was, you know, working on my dissertation, you know, it's a long story, but I was in a, at a conference in Germany and it didn't go well. Like the person who was supposed to be commenting on my particular talk um, had kind of made nice with me the night before. So I, I wasn't exactly sure where all of this, like, you know, all of a sudden trashing me came from and everything, though. And so then one of the big wigs in the field just jumped in and intervened the whole thing, though. But um, in my case, so I went back to uh, my hotel room after that and I was angry. I was pretty PO'd. I was sad. I was miserable and everything like that. And so what I did is I put a timer on my phone. I said, you got three minutes to cry about this and then get out. Just done. But what actually I was, you know, so I had the tears for like about a minute and then I was done. But anyway, what ended up actually coming to me at that point, though, was this. Um, from the darndest place, a Pixar movie, Ratatouille. And I remembered one of the lines from the movie is, even um, the bitter, like, I think it was the bitter truth that critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, even the average piece of junk is more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. And so all of a sudden, after one minute, I remember that line and it just came to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not, my piece of what you called my work was a piece of junk is still more meaningful than your criticism saying that's a piece of junk. So now I'm feeling all like, you know, better and everything like that though. And then we had dinner and everything and I was still kind of pissy and I didn't want to talk to this person. Mm -hmm. But at the same time though, so my point is really though, is that, I mean, courage can come from some of the weirdest places. Now, a lot of the time that people might not think a line from a Pixar movie can actually make you feel better after a not so hot day at a conference though, but it did. So what yeah. is what? Mm -hmm. Wow, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, it's so important for us to think about this important point around the courage to, to find meaningful in our lives, what we find meaningful, even as society denigrates it, as an individual denigrates it or as society denigrates it. And there are things we cherish so much that we are told constantly are valueless. And um, I mean, to use one of the most intense examples, I mean, imagine you're a persecuted, a persecuted Jew in different eras throughout history where you saw anti-Semites leading pogroms, burning our Torah and burning down our shuls and telling us your stupid Judaism is valueless. Your Torah is just fake, right? You worship a fake God. I mean, just denigrating everything about what Judaism is. You Jews are, are inferior as a people, right? And to still affirm and say, like, I continue to find meaningful what I find meaningful, to find true what I find true. Um, and so too, when we put our work out in the world and there's cruel people, um, as a great, as a glad to said, that, that want to put our life's work, label it junk. I mean, people have done that to me certainly many times as well. And, um, and the courage to see beyond that, it's really, it's really very deep. And, you know, um, there's two academics that I'm friendly with. I'm friendly with both of them, actually. And they are um, dating. They're, they're Jewish studies academics, and they're dating for a number of years. And they're both divorced. And um, she, she gave him a condition to date him. She said, I will date you as long as you promise to never write a book review 
that smashes down the, the, the author's book, like critiques it so, so harshly that you basically, you know, basically write the book review to reject the book to say, like, how dare anybody take somebody's work of many years that they put into, into something, then go take a day or half a day or a few days and write some book review that basically tries to destroy that, that book. She said, you know, and I was very inspired by her point because there's a lot more people who want to tear down than build up, certainly in academia um, and in other spaces as well. And I, so, Aglaia, I appreciate that so much of like us thinking before we speak and before we engage in, in our feedback on something. Am I looking to build up or am I looking to tear down? Yeah. Thank you. Gary, did I see your hand go up? Nope. Okay. Scratch your face. Yeah. Hi, Sarah. Good day. I guess I'm I'm struck first by the fact that courage obviously comes from cur or from heart. And so heart is the heart of courage. Uh, and as you were speaking, I thought, how many people have what we might deem courage of speech? And I think about all of the ugly speech in this world where people believe that they're speaking from their heart, that they're speaking their truth in their authentic way and are so incredibly destructive. And um, it's, it's what you just spoke about in terms of you know, not destroying another's work and being through your words or through whatever you've written. Yeah. Um, but courage of speech is, I wish it were a lot more uh, balanced by courage of restraint in so many ways that we could find a way. Um, I, I've been reading a book called High Conflict, which addresses a lot of this. And when I thought about restraint, I thought about a, a phrase that she uses called the high balcony moment, mm -hmm. where you can just lift yourself out of that moment and look down from the balcony and say, how do I want this to play out? Mm. And um, so this is, this is all really interesting. And I'm trying to find how to take all of these threads of courage. Mm -hmm. And it still comes back to me to heart. Um, but very interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I love that. And I'm so glad you brought in the, the high balcony because I've been thinking a lot about that, you know, two um, Harvard scholars of leadership, uh, Linsky and Heifetz, have written about how exercising leadership um, is about simultaneously going back and forth between the balcony and the dance floor, right? You can't just be a balcony person who observes as a sociologist and wants to comment on everything happening. You have to dance also, but you can't just dance and not go to the balcony because you'll, you'll miss what's actually happening on the dance floor if you're just immersed in your own dance. You have to be in the dance and go to the, and go to the, and go to the, um, and go to the balcony. And I love that, that the restraint um, of the wise perspective of zooming out and the courage of then going back and engaging as well. And I know people who like one or the other, they want to be in the action all time, but don't want to reflect or those who love to reflect and comment and 
but aren't necessarily immersed in it. And so I, I'm so glad you brought that that point in. And then your other point, uh, uh, based on heart as well, about how we express passion without raging on other people all the time, that there is just so much breaking down and tearing down and lack of restraint on speech. Like literally, it is safe to say unprecedented in the history of, of the human species with how many social media platforms we have and how so much of it is just simply used to just tear people down um, and uh, with self-righteousness. Right? It's not about ideas. It's just, yeah. And, and the, it's the cathartic feeling of, of, of speaking my truth, as you said, in a way that just is tearing down relationships in society. And, and there is a way to hold passionate moral conviction and find ways to express ourselves that actually bring insight, right? And that feels like such a great Jewish enterprise to practice every day. Like, how do I express my moral passion in ways that actually bring insight rather than just tear down? Um, so thank you so much, Sarah. As always, lots of gems there. Hi, Eric. Yeah, Sarah, yes, please, Sarah. Is, is that maybe about finding our heart's compassion for the other being? And remembering that midah of compassion. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, that feels like a great move to make. Like, yeah, we want to tear someone down and just remembering that they also are deserving of our compassion, even if they're not compassionate to others or we think they're not. Um, and if we can't muster that level of compassion, at least we can ask ourselves what kind of person we want to be. What kind of character do we want to live with and how we express ourselves? Um, you know, and, you know, and if we can't do that, we can at least go to the cold formulaic model of Kant that if everybody expressed themselves the way I'm about to, would that, would that, would that be beneficial? Right. Um, you know, and so, yeah, thank you. But, I, but compassion does feel like the ideal to remember ourselves that a lot of people hurting people are also hurting. Right. And, um, and, and, and showing compassion to people who are hurting people sometimes is the best way to, you know, to get them to stop hurting. Um, thank you. Hi, Eric. Hi, thank you so much. This has been really re uh, revelating uh, topic. Uh, two aspects, a comment and a, and a question. Um, so I'm going through from a prof professional perspective of uh, gearing up to give a presentation in front of uh, peers. And it's kind of like, they're gonna um you know build me down uh, they're gonna draw me you know uh tear me down in order to build myself up again and i was and based on through this conversation i have been very nervous and stressful but through this um session today it's made me give the perspective that i have to have the courage to endure the idea of uh, the courage of endurance to go through that so um and you gave a great example so thank you for that the question i have is about something I've been considering on the topic of courage. These different variants, different interpretations have been amazing. But I think to myself, when the time comes for me to teach these values and the different ideas of courage to my to my daughter, what is the easy, what is how to prioritize and to explain? There's so many different ways to to show courage, to display courage. And I understand as a, you know, a child, it's, it'd be very difficult to understand, but what is, how to prior, how do, how to, I guess the bigger, greater question is how do we 
how to prioritize what are the most important forms of courage to explain to to the new generation of of of, of people that are going to be growing up to understand these different displays. Eric, thanks so much for asking. And everybody, we can all wish Eric a mazel tov on the birth of his first child. Um, they just had a uh, beautiful daughter just a few months ago. Uh, I'll be honored to be doing the baby naming um, out here when he flies out from DC. So Eric, thank you. And I love that you're, you're thinking already about your little daughter and how to uh, teach courage to her um, and let her learn courage on her own as well. And I would love others to weigh in as well in the chat while I'm sharing, but here's the main thing I wanna share here. Allowing our children to see us uncomfortable, allowing our children to see us struggle. Many parents want to show their strong side to their child. I know what I'm doing. I am rock solid. I am in control. I am fine. And that's a gift because the parent doesn't wanna burden their kid or grandkid. Right? I'm all good. I don't need your help. Don't worry. Don't worry about me. Right. But there's also, I think, the ability to show our struggle, to show our tension and our discomfort can, can model for them that we ourselves are mustering courage to, to navigate our challenges, to show that vulnerable side. And so it's one thing to come home at the dinner table at night and talk about, you know, things that are comfortable, and that's really great. But to talk about things that hurt or things that are unclear or things that are hard and show that we ourselves have to, you know, live with some courage. That's my first thought. I think my second thought is um, to kind of welcome them into that very early because we might think of courage as an adult virtue or maybe even a young adult virtue. But how might a toddler experience courage? Oh, my gosh. Toddlers need so much courage, right? You just get dropped off with strangers at preschool. And you like, you literally like have no clue who these kids are, these teachers. You've never even been to a school. You're like, what, where in the world am I? You know what I mean? Like, we're going to do what? It's nap time. I don't want to nap, right? It's lunchtime. Like, I want to throw the food at my friend, you know, right? Right? It's playground time. I can't like, I can't throw wood chips at the other kid. Like, why not? Nobody taught me that rule. You know, like you're constantly like pushed to like do things and um, and and in very foreign territory. It's like it's like being dropped off on, on like Mars. You know, you go for like the comfort of your just little home with the one or two people, you know. And so um, and so how do we how do we kind of, you know, step up and step back for our kid for these toddlers to find their courage? to find their courage, you know, to cry a little bit. Now, I don't want to get into to sleep training. Some people believe in cry it out. Some people believe in nursing until the kid is in medical school. Um, you know, there's different approaches to intimacy versus isolation and how we do that stuff. But so anyways, my first answer is how we, how we model our own vulnerability and struggle. My second is how we kind of, we see the virtue of courage is starting very early for, for children. And, and giving them the space to, uh, to struggle, giving them the space to struggle in a way that is safe and protected, but in a way that is also challenging, you know, and um, that's very hard for a parent who wants to protect and nurture. But, you know, but Gary, yes, Gary, you want to jump in on that? 
or something else, something else. Good. Well, hopefully people will come back to Eric's point. But Gary, let's go to your point now, and then and then Eileen. Yes. Actually, I wanted to go back to a point that that you were making uh, concerning uh, uh, social media and, and hatred and tearing people down. Uh, and one of the issues that I perceive as is what I call false courage uh, due to uh, false truths. And, I, and, and, and so is it, is it, is it courage uh, to stand up when we know that racism is, a, uh, is an issue or hatred is an issue? And we see those uh, that make false truths. Slavery was good. And we justify, therefore, standing up to, to again, uh, false truths, and uh, which has created this whole, this whole issue that we see not just in this country, but around, around the world uh, with the, this me, me society. It's about me. I have a right to, to say things. I have a right to, to express my opinions through uh, that lenses of, of false truth, so, uh, which then creates what I consider false courage. Thank you so much, Gary. I'm so glad you brought that up because many of these virtues, it's hard to really distort them. The virtue of kindness, like what? how are you going to use kindness for bad? I mean, there are some ways that you can use it to manipulate. You be kind to someone to get things. There are, every virtue can be manipulated, but courage really can be dangerous, right? A, 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 a fundamentalist who's being courageous in their fundamentalism is very dangerous. And so, yes, courage itself is not good. Courage, courage one could be courage to do, courageous to do evil things. And so, like, imagine the people who declared last Shabbat day of hate, right? And I, but I, I, at first I hated that they called it day of hate. I'm like, have you no shame? Like you're even celebrating hate. But then I loved it. Cause like, yeah, as we talked about, you know, call a spade a spade, you know? Like, yeah, actually name it hate if that's what you want to do, right? So like, is that courageous to be like, oh, our society loves Jews and I'm going to speak truth to power and be a hater of Jews, you know? Or imagine in a very different case, the extremist settler right now, the extremist settler in the West Bank who says, I'm a warrior for Am Yisrael. I'm going to go burn down, you know, start fires in a Palestinian village and go, you know, do extreme acts in this time of tremendous turmoil in Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Like, they view themselves as courageous Jewish leaders, right? right? We're going out on the front lines. The IDF is being weak. The other Jews and Israelis are being weak. And we are the settlers who are preserving the integrity of the, and um, and those vigilantes um, think they're acting courageously, just as Hamas thinks they're being courageous as terrorists, right? And um, it's very important for us to, to see this, that actually that courage can be used to destroy and to fight for, for, for lies and to fight for evil. And so that is where humility and some of the other virtues we've looked at um, are important to put courage in check. Right. It's easy to say I'm going to courageous so I can do whatever I want. But actually, like, is this courageous? Is this courage for something noble or is this courage for something uh, problematic? OK, Eileen, over to you. And then Lauren. Um, I want to go back to both your commentary on courageous children and Aglaia's commentary on somebody taking her work apart. Um, there's something called constructive criticism, which can in fact benefit if the person 
giving the criticism does it in such a way that it is kind and it is generous and it is edifying. And of course, the problem is too many people who are critics don't understand that. And their intent is actually to improve themselves at the expense of their audience. Great. Eileen, yes, thank you for that. That that is um, is a very popular trend today, right? To tear down, to build oneself up, and we have to figure out ways to build ourselves up by alongside others. And we still live in this cutthroat, zero sum game mentality, which is so dominant in America, and in um, and and in the politics between different um, uh, ethnic groups and racial groups and and partisan groups in America that like, I only win if you lose, right? And your gain means I'm losing. Think about the think about the whole debate around quotas in universities and like how many black folks, how many Asians, how many Jews, like how many, you know, of this group and that group. And like the sense of like, of like, there's too much of that group, you know? Like I want my group to be more represented and that group needs to be less represented, right? Like how do we, how do we, how do we break beyond that? And and so, yeah, Eileen, thanks for that. I think this is deep psychological work that we have to do to see like that our own welfare is something connected to other people's welfare. Like, like we don't need we don't need to tear down. Yes, hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for mentioning humility because I often look at a lot of these things in terms of dot like character traits. And so when I think of courage, it's a combo of humility it's also combo of chesed, which I think underlines everything, and gvura, setting boundaries. And I think if you put those three traits together, and there's probably others too, um, that that is courage. And if you want to look at courageous prayer, um, look at what Alden Salve has written. His prayer books are beautiful. They're through CCAR Press, but... You can just Google his name, Alden, S-O-L-V-A-Y. And he's written some beautiful prayers for contemporary times. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, you know, part of this courage, I think, is making this little leap that we've talked a lot about, right? The little leap to be joyous when there's a lot of things in our life we're sad about, right? The little leap to be faithful or trusting right? When we have had experience to tell us that there's no form of faith or no form of trust that has value, right? That leap to, um, that, that, that leap to go out and do an act of kindness when we don't know how it's going to be received or, or to love. I think one form of the courage we're talking about is making that little jump, um, that is uncomfortable, that is uncertain in our lives. There's so many different ways to do that. And, um, and I think being in community and relationships is one of the best way to bolster this because we see other people around us doing it, right? Like if, if somebody has cancer, being in a cancer group, you know, and seeing how friends uh, in that group are, are doing that. Or if you're an AA, you're an AA with people who are also struggling with addiction, right? Um, or if you're in mourning, being in a mourning group to see what, you know, that others are mourning and what it means of the courage to keep, to keep living, there's, you know, I, I'm a big fan of support groups. I, I'm not in any. I mean, maybe I am and I, and I don't call them that. 
maybe this is a support group. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course we are. So maybe, maybe my whole life is a support group, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, in fact, maybe we should view every group we're in as ideally actualized as a support group. If we're on a sports team, if we're on a staff, if we're in a prayer group, whatever we're in, right? That's a support group. <laughs> if we're not there to support each other, what are we doing? So in any case, uh, yes, Aglaia, over to you. All right. So one thing that's funny is that um, some of my students have actually said in the middle of class, I feel like this is group therapy when we're having class discussions, which is kind of funny. But the other thing, though, I just wanted to speak to Lauren's point, though, and to Sarah's point earlier. And the reason why I brought up the Marvel Cinematic Universe is because I actually was trying to explain. I use um, you know, Black Panther as an example of a character, but not the Black Panther movie, the Captain America Civil War movie, because the real hero that I, you know, was explaining like why Black Panther was a really big hero in Captain America Civil War was because he's the only one of the Marvel characters who's a hero, superhero, who can admit when he's wrong. And so that's why I was saying, you know, well, in Sarah's, to Sarah's point, he actually helped someone who he was really, really had a really big reason to be angry with. And then to Lauren's point, though, the humility to be able to admit when you're wrong Kind of goes, well, it speaks to all kinds of different courage. Oh boy, is that a big one. You know, as we all know, there's a trend in our lives to not want to move on from something in our life because we've invested so much in it. It's not serving us anymore. It's not serving others around us anymore, but we stay with this thing because geez, I've had 20 years with it. I've had 40 years with it, right? How can I move on from this thing? And um um, given how much I've invested and that courage to, that courage to move on, that, that courage to, um, and, and picking up on Aglaia's point there, um, it doesn't have to necessarily be, the, 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 in this case, you know, to admit we're wrong, but to admit like it's wrong for me right now, right? To continue to live, you know, with this um, in my life. Wow. Now, just on, uh, one closing thing um, I, on Ethan's chat over there, which I appreciated so much of this, this courage in hard times. Yes. I think it's a really important theme of this. When we have struggled in divorce, in sickness, in mourning, in something, in 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 poverty, in anything hard in our li life, when we are struggling, um, the ability to muster courage in those moments is really amazing. And I think that part of what we want to do here, because this is about kindness, is how do we exhibit show courage for other people who need us when we are not struggling? How do we leverage our privilege how to, for, um, to show courage for others, right, who um, may not be able to do that? And so it's great to show courage when we ourselves are struggling. And how do we show up for other people who need us to be courageous on their behalfs? And, um, and many people who have, th their flame is literally gone. They're in a state of depression. They're in a state of isolation. They, they can't show courage and they need someone to show courage for them. My dear friends, God bless you all. Uh, may we all have a courageous day. To Just living is courageous. Just living and choosing to be joyful and to affirm life and to affirm kindness towards ourselves and to one another. Can't wait to see you next week. Have a great day.